Let's turn our Bibles to, to Matthew chapter 5. Uh, that can be found on page 759 if you're using the church Bibles. It's also on the insert uh, in your service sheets this morning for your convenience. Matthew 5. I'll be reading verses 1 through 12. Uh, I'll, I'll warn you, this sermon's a bit longer than usual. There's a lot that can be said uh, about this portion of Scripture, the, what's, what's called the Beatitudes. And we'll talk about what the Beatitudes mean in a moment. But I think uh, that, that song we just sang is particularly appropriate this morning, the, particularly that last verse, uh, High King of Heaven, my victory won. May I reach heaven's joys, O bright heaven's sun. What's our, what's our desire? Our, our desire is, is to enter the kingdom of God, uh, to, to experience the joys of heaven. Uh, and then that, that last two lines, heart of my own heart, whatever befall, still be my vision, a ruler of all. That's really what the, the Beatitudes are about. It's about the, the heart of Christ Jesus becoming our own hearts. So let's hear the, the words of Jesus this morning from Matthew 5, uh, beginning in verse 1, and I'll read through verse 12. This is, this is God's word. Seeing the crowds, he went up on the mountain, and when he sat down, his disciples came to him, and he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Just, just take a second. Sorry about that. Where were we? Uh, we'll go back to verse 7. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Amen. The grass withers, the flower fades, the word of our God stands forevermore. Last few weeks in, in Matthew's gospel, he's been introducing us to, to Jesus and explaining uh, what it means to be a follower of Jesus. Last week we heard the, the call to follow him and we, we saw him healing the crowds of people who were coming out to see him. And one of the things we, we said about this was that, that the people who were coming to Jesus, who were, who were sick, uh, who were unwell, uh, were the ones who, who knew that they couldn't heal themselves. That their diseases their, their, uh, uh, were, were, were too great for them. And so they needed someone outside of themselves to make them well. They needed a healer. Well, today as Jesus begins his, his teaching ministry, we hear him tell us that it's in fact the, the ones who, who see and feel their need that he loves the, and blesses. This section of, of Matthew's gospel is, is uh, the first extended teaching called, it's called the Sermon on the Mount. And we're going to, to spend a few weeks looking at it. And it's called the Sermon on the Mount as we, we see from in verse 1 because very simply, uh, Jesus sat down on the side of a mountain and taught the people. 
But before we dive into the content of, of Jesus' teaching here, I, I think we, there, there's a few things we need to mention uh, as introduction. First of all, uh, we should ask the question, why, why would Jesus stop a healing ministry in order to teach? Uh, the healing ministry was, was clearly a, a, crowd, a crowd favorite, wasn't it? It's, it's what attracted so many people to Jesus from the start. So why stop that and start, start teaching? Teaching can be quite boring, can't it? There's a few ways we could answer that, but I think that, that what's meant to be underlined here by Matthew is the, the shift from healing to teaching is what, what uh, essentially what Jesus told the devil in the first temptation that we looked at a few weeks ago. That man cannot live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. It's not enough to simply heal the physical ailments, but, but people need to hear the calling of Christ. They need to be taught the word of God. They need, to, uh, they, they need to receive spiritual healing because our spiritual brokenness is, is what ultimately caused the physical brokenness. In some ways, Jesus is, is engaging in preventative medicine through the things he's revealing in his teaching. The other reasons for the, the shift is because Jesus is, is actually building his church. He's, he's, uh, he's growing his disciples the teaching. He's pushing his truths deep down into them. And he's, he's shaping them by his word. See, what we see in Jesus' ministry is actually a pattern for us as a, as a church that we're called to follow, to show mercy and to teach grace. And secondly, it's, it's really important that we understand uh, the importance of Jesus' commands. When we get to the very end of Matthew's gospel in Matthew 28, uh, which, which seems like a long way from now, uh, Jesus is going to send out his disciples, and he's going to he's going to give them a couple of commands. One is is to to baptize people, to establish churches, to baptize those who believe, but also to teach them to obey all that he commands. What he's what's he's teaching here isn't isn't simply uh, insp- an inspirational message where we just see what we connect with and listen to that. What Jesus tells us in, in Matthew 28 is, is that we, we should take his word, every word of it, and we should, we should be obedient to it. And we should seek to, to orient our lives around it. Now the third thing for us to understand about the Sermon on the Mount is that it's, it's an exposition and, and reflection on the law of God. And we'll see that over the, the coming weeks that it follows closely the, the Ten Commandments uh, from Exodus in Deuteronomy, and Jesus was living in a in a culture and, and preaching to to a group of people uh, who many would have have believed that they were keeping the Ten Commandments, every last one of them. So Jesus explains to this crowd just just uh, how much of life the law of God actually touches. And Jesus begins here because if we're going to to follow Him, then we have to learn to to not just be obedient to Him but to actually love the things that he loves and to hate the things that he hates. And so it should come as no surprise to us that as we, as we get into this sermon, that, that it will leave us feeling convicted of just how far short we're fall, we've fallen. And if it weren't for the one preaching the sermon, we would have absolutely no hope. But today Jesus begins with, with what are called the Beatitudes. And a beatitude is, is simply a blessing. It's actually a pronouncement of, of supreme blessedness. So what the, the beatitudes 
uh, reveals is actually the heart of Christ and the heart of God. And it may seem remarkable that Jesus begins uh, a sermon on the law of God with pronouncements of blessings. But that's actually where, where God began the Ten Commandments, if you, if you looked back at it. Back in Exodus 20, verse 2, God began the Ten Commandments by saying, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. See, the blessings of God, his deliverance is the, the foundation for establishing his law and for the obedience of his people. He assures Israel their status before him first and foremost, and then revealed to them his calling on them as his people. And Jesus does the same thing here. It's absolutely critical that we get that. Jesus begins with blessings before commands. The things he blesses, in fact, turn our world upside down. And that's what we see uh, this morning as we, we look at Matthew's gospel. And we can divide up the, the Beatitudes into, into three categories. First of all, Christ's compassion on our heart condition, verses 2 through 6. Secondly, Christ's compassion growing in our hearts. And then thirdly, Christ's compassion opening a future hope. So first of all, we see in the first four Beatitudes, Christ's compassion for our heart condition. And to understand the, the Beatitudes is, is particularly difficult because uh, they aren't straightforward. You know, this is supposed to be a sermon about doing. What does Jesus want us to do? But rather than being that, they require us to, to examine our own hearts, to understand ourselves, to, to look to the one pronouncing the blessings to be the source of our blessing. In other words, what the Beatitudes reveal is the, the status of a follower of Jesus. And we're going to briefly look at each one of these this morning. Uh, I hope very briefly, but we'll see. Jesus first blesses the poor in spirit. Uh, who are the poor in spirit? Well, they're, they're the people who, who actually feel their spiritual poverty. They're the people who are, are spiritually inadequate. Last week, uh, Jesus blessed the physically inadequate, didn't he? The sick and disabled who were being brought to him, he, he blessed them and, they, and, and healed them. Well, here Jesus blesses the people who know that they can't measure up spiritually. This would have been shocking in his society. The whole society was built around spiritual adequacy, or better yet, spiritual superiority. There was a, a hierarchy of, of uh, the spiritual elite, the, the ancient Jewish culture. The Jews were God's chosen people. And so their spiritual practice reflected that. It had been handed down to them specifically. They had God's word. They had God's temple. And they knew how, how to please him. So for Jesus to, to say, actually, the, the people who are, who are really blessed the people who will, will receive the kingdom of God are the ones who recognize that they haven't done enough and could never do enough. This was, was shocking, but that's what he's saying to them. He's saying, he, he's, he's really asking, does your faith make you proud or does it humble you? When you look at God and his law, do you, do you feel good enough for him? And the answer should be No. Surprisingly, this is still relevant in our, in our society today, even though we're in a, a very secular culture. That's because we're at our core, we're all spiritual people. Many of us are making it up as we, we go along. Uh, we may downplay the importance of our spirituality. But every one of us has some idea about God. 
and some idea about how we think we, we can please him. Maybe we think he's really uh, understanding, and so we, we just don't have to worry. Maybe we think he's, he's distant and, and doesn't really, isn't that concerned about us, and so he's irrelevant, so we're okay. Maybe some of us, uh, like the ancient Jews, think that, that we can please him through our, our actions and practices. If we go to a church enough, if we give enough to the poor, if we, if we do enough good works, then, then God will be pleased with us. And Jesus actually says to us in this, this blessing that until we recognize how, how spiritually impoverished we are, we'll never receive the blessings of this kingdom. And this one beatitude is actually fundamental to understanding all the others. And it actually sets the foundation for understanding the entire Sermon on the Mount. Everything that Jesus says after this really points back to this. Every command that Jesus expounds upon drives us back to this very first beatitude. Because when we're really honest, this is where we live spiritually. If you listen to the Sermon on the Mount and think, I can do that, then you've missed the whole point. And this blessing actually becomes condemnation. Every, everything Jesus says is meant to make us see how spiritually impoverished we are. It's meant to leave us going, I need someone outside of myself to make me right with God. It's to cause us to, to feel our condemnation. Everything Jesus says is meant to, to make us see our need of him and how desperately we need someone to open the kingdom of heaven to us. And Jesus says that it's for the spiritually poor that the kingdom of heaven exists. And that's actually shocking and scandalous in that, the society that he's speaking to. But that's, that's actually the economy of God's kingdom. The spiritually rich are actually poor. And the poor are the ones who will be rich. And this is a theme that we're going to see throughout Matthew's gospel. We'll see it in in uh, Jesus' teachings. We'll see it in his parables. We'll see it in how he interacts with the spiritual elite of his day. But that's the first blessing. The second blessing, Jesus says, is, is for those who mourn because they'll be comforted. Now what's Jesus talking about here? Uh, he's blessing those who are truly sad. He's blessing those who, who have suffered in the, the hardships of life. I think this is a good point to, to remind us that, that uh, the Beatitudes are not about things that we do. And so he's, he's not calling you to be more sad or more mournful. He's not calling us to mope. Rather, he's, he's telling us that he loves the people who suffer and feel the brokenness of our world deeply. That it, it, it doesn't always feel like, like God loves them. But he does. And many of you can relate to that. Most of us will experience it at some point in our lives, won't we? What Jesus is offering is, is actually proper joy. And here's what I mean. When, when Jesus promises comfort for those who, who mourn, if we in our, our sadness and brokenness feel the comfort of a loving Savior, what could be more joyful than that? Remember that mourning isn't moping and joy isn't exactly happiness. Joy is, a, is, is grounded in a real hope. And it's hope beyond our circumstances. It's being able to look at our world and to, to look at, at the, the, the struggles and the, the sadness and the hardship that we experience. And seeing beyond that to a Savior who, 
who gave himself for us, who's walked through that sadness and that brokenness and that hurt himself. Sadness and joy are not mutually exclusive. So what Jesus tells us is that, that for those who, for, who, who feel the deep sadness of life in this world, it's for them that God is most real. And the comfort of Christ is there. Now the third blessing is, is for the meek. And meekness is a, is a word that, that's lost a lot of its meaning in, in English. Uh, a lot of people think that it's lowliness or that's an, an unwillingness to fight back, a pacifism. Uh, but by the biblical meekness is uh, uh, the people who are, are truly powerless in the eyes of this world. It's the people who, uh, who, who uh, it's a condition rather than an attitude. And that's an, actually an, an important distinction because uh, we can go out and, and try to be more humble, can't we? I tell my kids every single day just how humble I am. They love it. I'm a good example to them with my humility. But Jesus isn't, isn't talking about that. He's actually talking about a condition, not an attitude, a condition of powerlessness. It's the people look down upon as, as the little people. Uh, and I think this is a, a particularly engaging blessing because it's, uh, it's both full of hope and it's, it's also utterly offensive in a, in a Western power-based culture. What does our culture say? Well, our culture says we don't, we don't want the weak to be blessed. We'd rather the weak suck it up and start producing we see that everywhere, don't we? Just this week, we heard it in, in Parliament. You know, we've, a group of MPs from, I'm not going to be political here, but a, a group of MPs uh, decided that they wanted to uh, put letters in of no confidence in, in the Prime Minister, which upset some of the Prime Minister's close friends. Uh, and so one of the Prime Minister's uh, cabinet members was interviewed uh, by the media and one of the things that, that this person said was that most of these people are nobodies who've never done anything in government. That's, that's a nice way of, of looking at it, isn't it? That's, that's helpful, isn't it? You know, these people are just, they're nobodies. They're nothings. We look down on the weak, don't we? We look down on the little people. Whether they're in parliament or whether they're on the streets, we, we underrate this blessing. But Jesus says he loves the little peoples. He loves the nobodies who've never done anything. He, he makes them a, a massive promise that they'll inherit the earth. And that's, a, that's actually a breathtaking promise, isn't it? It's a profound because what it, what it reminds us of is that, that this earth is to be the scene of the coming kingdom of God. And Jesus says that all the, the things the meek and the weak are missing out on now they're going to be enjoying for eternity when he brings his kingdom in. That's a profound thing, isn't it? It's a bit offensive to some of us, I reckon. But it's Jesus who blesses. Now the fourth blessing is, is for those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. And in some ways this, this is similar to the very first one that we, we looked at. But actually it feels more like, like those who've hit rock bottom, isn't it? Jesus blesses the people who know that they're righteous, that they aren't righteous, and they can't possibly make themselves righteous, even though they're desperate to be. 
That's what he means by hungering and thirsting for righteousness. It's, it's the person who, who knows they, they're unrighteous before God, even though they desperately want to be. It's the person who thinks God could never love a person like me. I've, I'm too broken. I've done too many things. Terrible, terrible things. This person doesn't dare to hope that God could love them or show them any grace or make them righteous even though they long for that. At risk of, of sounding trite, I'm going to give you a Simpsons illustration. This is the best one I could come up with this week. Uh, in an early episode, Homer uh, takes Marge, his wife, out for dinner to an all-you-can-eat seafood buffet. And he eats so much that he's, he's kicked out of this restaurant. And so uh, later on, he, he sues the restaurant, as Americans do, for false advertising. And at the trial, his wife Marge takes the stand and she's asked by their lawyer, what, what did you do after you left the restaurant? And she said, we drove around looking for another all-you-could-eat seafood restaurant. And then the lawyer asked her, so what did you do when you couldn't find one? And in tears, Marge says, we went fishing. And the lawyer turns to the jury and asks, does this sound like the actions of a man? who had all he could eat. And it's a silly example, but, but the point's this. Righteousness is actually the unquenchable hunger of the human heart. And most of us maybe suppress that, hoping it's going to go away, or we, or we try to cover it up, or we try to fill it with all of these things, whether it's, it's good deeds, whether it's, it's power or money or sex, Whatever it is, we're, we're like Homer going fishing when we can't find the all-you-can-eat restaurant to fill us. And Jesus, on the other hand, promises satisfaction, doesn't he? He promises real righteousness that's sufficient to satisfy our longings. This is a, a striking way to finish the first section of blessings, isn't it? How can Jesus promise the, the unrighteous, the people hungering and thirsting for righteousness, that they will in the end be satisfied? Well, the only way he could do that is if he had the means to quench that hunger. And that's what we find in Jesus, isn't it? That's what we see in this, this first section of blessings. We see a Savior who actually cares for the broken, the sad, the overlooked, and the hungry sinner. And he promises blessings and hope. Now, the second set of Beatitudes reflect Christ's compassion growing in our hearts. And I promise to keep these last two points uh, much shorter. Sorry, they, they might get short shrift. But I know we're running short on time. So these, these next three blessings may feel like, like things we're, we're meant to do. And actually what they are is, is they're actually the fruits of what Jesus does for us. They begin to express what it looks like to follow Jesus. To, to allow his blessings to, to well up inside of us. To allow his compassion to to take over in our own hearts. So the first blessing is, is for the merciful. Uh, this is, of course, means that, that a, a follower of Jesus reflects the mercy that, that Jesus has shown them. The grace of Jesus doesn't make a person morally superior. It doesn't make them a spiritual elite. Rather, it makes them more humble and merciful and compassionate. It causes them not only to, to bear up under their own burdens, but to, to sympathize with and, and carry the burdens 
and troubles and hardships of others. And if we believe what I, I said earlier, that Jesus is preaching this sermon to grow his church and to, to grow his disciples, then we need to stop and take notice of this. What is Jesus calling us to do? What does he want Grace Church Hammersmith to be? Well, he wants us to be a community where, where the burdened and the broken can come and be shown mercy. Where the, the healing balm of the gospel is applied to the wounds of the brokenhearted. And Jesus again promises something in this blessing that the, the merciful will receive mercy. That's to say, you can't have the gospel without producing fruit. If you value, if you value the mercy you've received, then you, then you pass it on to others. This is actually a, a theme, again, that we're going to see in Matthew's gospel. It's actually something that we, that we prayed earlier in the Lord's Prayer, isn't it? Forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. It's one of the expectations of, of the gospel and of Jesus that those who receive mercy show mercy. Now next, Jesus blesses the pure in heart. And the heart, of course, in, in, uh, in, in Hebrew was, was actually the center of a person's humanity. We think of it as sort of this, this spiritual center, but actually it's it was the, the center of their personhood. It's what made them a person. It was the center of their feeling, their willing, their thinking, and even their doing. It was the thing that, that drives people. And so being pure at heart would mean uh, being, being pure at the, the very center, at the very core of our personhood. Which, of course, begs the question, how do we, how do we achieve that? And the answer, again, is, of course, we don't. Jesus does. We have to look at the one doing the blessing to receive this blessing. If you want to be pure, then you have to, to be washed. And that's what, what Jesus came to do, isn't it? To wash us so that we can be pure in heart. And to see God as he, as he promises here. Now third, Jesus blesses the peacemakers. Uh, peace in scripture is, is different from, from how we tend to define peace. In our, in our culture, peace is either the absence of war or it's, it's sort of this this inner tranquility. So it can either be something internal, the tranquility, or, or something external, the absence of war. But, but actually in, in Jewish culture, uh, the, the term shalom is what they would use for peace. And it, it conveys this, this idea of, of a communal peace. Uh, it's, it's like the picture of a circle where, where everything in that, that circle is, is, is okay. It's communal well-being in every direction and in and, and every relation. So what this means then is that a peacemaker is, is a reconciler. It's someone who looks to bring the, the community into a right relationship with one another and with God. And it's actually a sad paradox that, that the very next blessing is, is the one that tells us that these peacemakers are going to be persecuted by other people in the world. Because there's people in this world who, who call for peace, but in fact hate the peace that's offered by Jesus and his followers. And we'll see that as well in the weeks ahead. But peacemaking for Christians has to, to closely follow and be modeled by, by Jesus. And Jesus was often in conflict, wasn't he? Particularly with the religious leaders of the, his community. They were, they were leading people astray. They were in actuality not leading people to God at all. 
And you see the, the heart of peacemaking is, is actually to lead people into a right relationship with God the Father first and foremost. Which is why Jesus promises here that the peacemakers will be called sons of God. And our last point will be very, very short because the last two blessings are actually very closely related. What we see in them is that, that Christ's compassion opens a future hope. These last two Beatitudes have, have everything to do with, with persecution and essentially lay out for us what, what to expect as followers of Jesus in a hostile world. We can expect to suffer. We can expect to be hated, to be persecuted. The truth is that we live in a country where we're, we're incredibly blessed to be able to, to worship Christ openly and freely. We have brothers and sisters and, and places throughout the world that, that we pray for each week who, who face the possibility of much more serious and greater suffering for their faith. Some even face death. But we still feel, even in this culture, the, the tension, don't we? We feel it when we awkwardly tell someone that we go to church or when we pray uh, perhaps in public before a meal. Our kids feel it at school when their friends wonder why they can't do some things on Sunday. I feel it every time I tell someone in my workspace that, that I'm a minister and I get a funny look. We may not feel the, the, the greatest heat of persecution, but we, are, we, we feel in some small ways the, the reviling of a culture that's, that's distanced itself from its creator God. When we put it in these terms, what's, what's the attraction to the Christian life? What's the promise, isn't it? It's all the things that Jesus has promised here. Nine blessings coupled with promises. What does Jesus promise? Well, he promises that, that we will inherit a kingdom. And he points us to the, the prophets who suffered for the truth of God and the truth of the gospel. Where are they? Where are the prophets? Well, they're in heaven with the Lord. You see, the promise is everything, isn't it? The promise is life. It's hope in a world that's full of death and passing away. Uh, Jim Elliott was a, a missionary who was killed trying to, to reach a group of, of people who had never heard the gospel before. Uh, an isolated uh, tribe in, in the Amazon. But he understood what, what we're talking about here, I think, very keenly. This is what he said shortly before he, he died at a, a quite a young age as a young man. He said, he's no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain that which he cannot lose. And that's what Jesus is, is talking about here. He's saying that the, the people who are, are most broken, the, the people who, who've suffered the most, the people who have the least, are the ones who actually understand the kingdom because they, they don't have anything to lose. It's those of us who, who have so much that we can't keep, that, that, that are unwilling to lay it aside, that are really foolish. See, the Christian life may feel like losing, and it may feel like being emptied every single day, but the, the promise of our Savior is that there's a place prepared for His people, a place where a broken, spiritually hungry 
weak, longing for righteousness people will have all their longings met when they see their Father face to face. And Jesus came to give us those blessings. That's the kind of Savior He is, and that's why He's worth following. See, the contrast of Jesus' blessing next to the blessings of our world are stark, aren't they? But actually quite beautiful. Our world says, blessed are the rich, because they can have anything they want. Blessed are the powerful, because they can rule over us. Blessed are the famous, because they get lots of great stuff. Blessed are those who can take nice holidays, because they get a bit of rest. Blessed are those who can afford to own their own homes, because they have earthly security, and so on. Jesus, however, sees the world soberly, doesn't he? He, he knows our hearts, and he knows the, the brokenness. He understands where we really live, and he blesses us in that brokenness and in that hunger and in that suffering because he's the Savior who has stepped into that fully. He came all the way down and entered into our world and into our reality in order to call us into a kingdom where all the sadness and all the suffering and all the pain gets turned to love and joy and peace through God our Father. Amen. Let us pray.